Braverman, she was great. And then the actors, Becca Padrick, Grace Goodyear, Ryan Brien, and Anne-Marie Rudstrom, they were fantastic. What they do at Valdez that I love is that for each playwright, um, whether you have a 10-minute play or a full-length play, you have three panelists who read your play prior to going to the festival, and then they serve to moderate a discussion after your play. You have a, a lead moderator and then, you know, two, two other panelists. So I had uh, Joseph Biagini, Jean Bruce Scott, and Ashley Rose Wellman. They were wonderful. And then they give... They kind of give their ideas, what they thought, um, their takeaways, and then they open it up to the audience and they help facilitate that. But then later on, after the play is read and everything's said and done, you meet one-on-one -on -one with your lead moderator. So you get even more in-depth feedback. And then they ask playwrights, if you're, if you're into it, to act in other playwrights' plays, like if you also identify as an actor. So I got to be in a couple what? of plays. Um, oh. Yeah, Dante, Medima, and Danielle. Oh gosh, I, I might mispronounce your name, Danielle. Frimer, Frimer? Um, and then just saw plays by all these other amazing playwrights. Uh, it, it just, I, I swear, it's so many to list. So I, I encourage you, if you're curious, go look at the Valdez Theater Conference and see that list. A really cool thing that happened as well, they did, um, they had some voiceover actors there. They had Debbie Derryberry and Roger Bumpus. Now, Debbie Derryberry, you would know as Jimmy Neutron and uh, Draculaura, <laughs> <laughs> among other things. She's done... She has a very uh, robust career, but those are just two two voices. And Sadie knew her as Draculaura. She got a picture with Sadie. She signed something for her. That was really lovely. Roger Bumpus is the voice of Squidward nice. on the SpongeBob. <laughs> but they did one-on-one -on -one voiceover workshops with people there. And they did kind of a, a talk back, a moderated talk back. That was cool. Um, so there were workshops. Somebody from the NEA was there talking about NEA stuff. Arthur Jolly, who is just a lovely person. He he has a lot of plays published by Youth Plays and others. And he did a, a, a workshop talking about screenplays, adapting your play to a screenplay. Like so many offerings. And it included a cruise, a glacier cruise. And I'm happy to report that I went on that two-hour little tour of the bay and I did not get sick. <laughs> Yay! Yay. <laughs> so, so uh, wonderful. Just, just all around a fabulous experience. And you know what else they had there? Gosh, I'm remembering. Like, memories keep popping up. They do an, a fringe. So there's theater after the theater. And they did one of my little plays that that I love and was so excited to see it done. And the actors did a great job. My foreplay of a neat freak. So that <laughs> that was really fun. But they do they do a um oh Mabel, what do you call it when uh, somebody writes a scene and then somebody else writes a scene to connect it? Almost oh, like exquisite, exquisite corpse. Corp yeah. Yeah, so they did something like that, and I think they had two different storylines going. So that was that was super oh, cool, cool too. Yeah. So all of that to say, there is something for everyone. 
Uh, well, I was I was gonna see if I could segue it into our guest today, but I met Hope Villanueva and got to see a reading of of her play, and oh my goodness, Hope is our guest for this episode. But this was recorded back in March. We recorded this in March. Yeah, yeah. This we recorded this back in March, but. Uh, it's such a great interview. So excited to introduce you to Hope Villanueva. She resides in Washington, D.C., where she's an AEA stage manager by day. Her work has been seen at the Kennedy Center Page to Stage, Next Act, New Play Summit, Next Stop Theater, Wayward Artists, Black and Latino Playwrights Conference, Discovery New Play Festival, Kitchen Dog New Play Festival, and more. She has several TYA pieces published by Youth Plays, and she's currently currently the literary manager for Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, New York, and is a member of the Dramatist Guild. So everyone, uh, we'd love for you to check out this conversation with Hope Villanueva. Awesome. Hi, Hope. Hi, Hope. Hello. It's nice to meet you both. Uh, I, I've been seeing your name everywhere. Uh, including, I, I was telling Mavelle, I was so excited to see your name show up uh, for the Valdez Theater Conference. Yeah, that's recent. Yes, yes. And I'm planning to be there as well. So this oh, might mean that we could actually say yes, hi in person. Yes, it's exciting. We just found out about that two, gosh, two, two, maybe three weeks ago. That's really recent news. Yes, yes. So let's let's jump in by just hearing how you got your start in theater. Yeah, I I did not come up as a theater kid. Um, I didn't, you know, do it as a child or anything like that. Um, I was a dancer, so I, I did sort of come up through the arts. Um, but like many artists, I think uh, I was told that dancing is not a real job, and I needed to go to college for something real. So uh, I went for biology. And, you know, I was doing fine. I was getting fine enough grades and whatnot, but I was not particularly happy. So I was like, you know, I got to find something, something to do. I need, a, need an outlet. So I took a playwriting class on a whim, actually. And my teachers were amazing. Go Gauchos, UCSB in California. Um, and ended up, I took that class my junior year. I started those classes and ended up changing my major to theater at the end of my junior year and still graduating on time. Wow. So uh, that was a little intense, um, but it did mean I came out of college with relatively little theater experience. Um, and I knew that. So I was like, well, you know, I better, better get some experience. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I moved to LA. I had some friends. So like, you know, better to go somewhere where you know some folks. And was just willing to kind of do whatever. So I knew I needed some experience. Um, so I just sort of put my name out there. And I ended up teaming up uh, with a guy named Herb Isaacs, who was a director, kind of amateur level uh, stuff in L.A. And what he needed was a assistant director slash stage manager for a small show. And he was willing to take me on. And I ended up doing like seven or eight shows over several years with Herb. And that's kind of where I launched off because... I really didn't know anything. So I was asking a lot of questions and kind of winging it. And he was like, 
you're you have a natural ability for stage management um and then sort of sort of went from there i was teaching during the day for a number of years and then eventually was like okay we're gonna either jump and do this theater thing or we're not um and so i started just applying for stuff i was not qualified for and somehow started to get hired and it all kind of snowballed from there and i've been uh working as a stage manager primarily since gosh uh maybe 2006 2007 uh, and i've been an equity stage manager since 2013. wow congratulations thank that... you <laughs> so I, I was looking at all of the places that you've gone as a stage manager. It, it's pretty incredible and exciting. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so the first few are not terribly exciting, actually. But one of my first big jobs was actually with Ringling Brothers. So I've, I've toured with the circus. Um, I ended up in Hawaii for a couple of years, which was fabulous. Um, and then I moved to DC in 2011, I think that was. Got here in summer, did the fringe. I moved here without knowing anyone except my, my boyfriend at the time. And then by fall, I was out on my first national tour. And I ended up touring for a couple of years. I did um, My Fair Lady and Young Frankenstein and uh, most notably Rock of Ages I was out with for a number of years um, and then ended up doing the Hollywood production that was just before the pandemic. So I've sort of stayed attached to Rock of Ages and stayed attached to uh, Kristen Hange, who's the Broadway director and directed the, um, the Hollywood production as well. So, yeah, I've been very fortunate to have gotten to go to a ton of places between the circus and the tour uh, or touring years. I've been to every state in the country except Alaska, and I'm going to be crossing that one off the bucket list this year. So yeah. it's very exciting to get that 50th one little check mark. That oh my god! So cool! That's amazing. Okay, so we're definitely going to get into um, playwriting, but I would really love to know what it was like to go on tour with the circus. Can you tell it, us me too. about that? <laughs> it's pretty wild. And I was literally just saying to one of my writing partners uh, maybe a day or two ago that like there's reasons I have not actually written about that time. Um, mostly because it was so, as you can imagine, big and over the top that I don't know that I've entirely processed that experience even, you know, 15 some odd years later. Um, I sort of, it's still for me in like blips and stories and moments without a clear through line. So I feel like it wouldn't make a very good play because there's not a, a continuum through it. Um, but it was pretty amazing. You get to meet people from all over the world. Um, you know, there were acrobats and contortionists from all over Europe and from South America and Asia. Our contortionist troupe is Chinese. Most of our dancers were Brazilian. Um, a lot of the aerialists were uh, Bulgarian, and um, uh, there were some Ukrainians actually in that in that group as well. So, like, you get to hear every language on the planet spoken when you walk around work, which is incredibly cool. Um, clowns are kind of the most amazing people ever. I was sort of scared of clowns when I went to the circus. <laughs> it was not my thing. I watched it too many times as a child. Um, That's right. And then you get to know a real clown and they are just the coolest, most hardworking people you've ever met. They, they are woefully underpaid for the hours and the amount of themselves they, they put into a show. Um, really, really amazing people. 
and you you live on the circus train. So you're you're going what? from city to city, like literally on a silver on train. train, like a train. Yeah, a literal a literal train. A Ringling Brothers owned two of them, and you would at Whoa. the end of, end of a location, you know, climb back onto the train into your little your little room, and you know, ride the train for thirty six, forty eight, whatever how many hours it took to get to the next place. Yeah, it was pretty I- awesome. <laughs> I, I really and, can't wait until you write these plays that have to do with the circus. I'm, I'm going to figure it out someday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've petted a tiger. Um, I have talked the cops out of arresting a 17-year-old acrobat. <laughs> you know, I've, I've uh, been bought lap dances by animal trainers. It was a very, very bizarre Oh, my time. gosh. Very bizarre time. <laughs> but incredibly fun. Incredibly fun. Well, I remember... I read the play Elephant Walk, which was just the such an endearing, a sweet story. And that's when I saw at the end that you used to do the walk of the elephants yeah, with Ringling Brothers. And I went, oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> wanna... it's real. That play is based on, on real information. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and riding the train. Now that is, uh, it seems like an incredible experience, a way to see the country, you know, yeah. that not many people would get to do. Yeah. And it's, it's the best sleep you will ever get. If anyone has traveled by train, there is a sort of emotion to a train, a little lulling. It's, it's better than falling asleep in a car. Um, so you get that sort of rocking motion. And because of the way the train is built, we, we have our own little rooms and some people are in like bunk bedrooms. But since I was management, I actually had like a little, a little bed and a little kitchen and a, my own little bathroom. So like my pad was kind of cushy relative to most people. Um, and then when we would be parked places, my pad became kind of hangout central for my friends. Cause I had the room, you know, to have people over and eat dinner or play video games or, or whatever I had the space for it. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. It is. It's it's really cool. And but how did you find out about the job? Because you said that was one of your first jobs, right? Yeah, it was just it was just listed on um gosh, it, it might have even been backstage.com. Oh my god. It was gosh. just a regular old listing and I applied wow. and I got it. I love so, it. You ne- you never know where a job is going to take you. Truly. So true. So, oh Oh my God. Okay. So you are a stage manager. um, And I have never been a stage manager that you seem you're living my dream life. I, I, if I had the opportunity to do it all over again, I would, I would, I think that I would really enjoy being a stage manager. It seems like a lot of work. And so how do you have the energy to, to stage manage a show and then have time to write plays and you're a prolific playwright. So how does that work? How, how does that, how do you balance it? Um, so, so I actually walked away from playwriting for a little bit after school, um, sort of as I was figuring out stage managing and figuring out how to pay bills, um, which I was really bad at when I first got out of college I was like, how do you make money? I don't understand how this works. Um, so it took me a hot second. But when I got to Hawaii, that artistic director, who's still there, a lovely man named Eric Johnson, um, who's just one of the most encouraging people you'll ever meet, um, he caught wind that I used to write and I'd gone to school for it. And he had a show coming up at the end of that first season 
that he wanted to bring back a previous tradition that the previous artistic director had done where the Christmas show, I think it used to be, they would invite the local playwrights to submit short plays and they would put a theme on it and, and do like a holiday show. And he wanted to bring back the, the compilation idea, but not necessarily Christmas. It would be different themes every, every time they did it. So um, the theme was, where do things go? And it was kind of about environmentalism, but he left the door kind of wide open to interpretation. So he was kind of wouldn't leave me alone until I wrote him something. Um, and I was just like, Eric, I don't, I don't write anymore. And he's like, no, 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 come on, come on, come on. And he bugged me until I turned something in. And I hadn't written in, I don't know how many years at that point, probably seven or eight years I hadn't written anything. He harasses me until I do it. And it ended up being chosen as one of the, the five, I think, plays that were done as part of the show. And it was this curious little play. It's published now by Youth Plays uh, under the title, uh, title, title like like the Ocean Tides title. Um, and it's about a pair of hermit crab, or yeah, hermit crabs and a sea anemone. And the tide is threatening to, to wash them away if they don't let go of their sort of chunk that's on their shells. Um, and one of them dies at the end. Sorry, spoilers. Uh-huh. One of them dies at the end and is swept out into the ocean. So when I turned it in, this is a TYA theater. I was like, Eric, you're not going to pick this. Like, <laughs> I killed the character. I killed him. Um, and he ended up choosing it and in a really be- staged it really beautifully so that it was very silly and physical and funny. And then at the end, it just kind of took this very sad, gorgeous turn. It was, it was actually very exciting. And, you know, obviously I hadn't seen anything of mine on its feet in all that time because I hadn't written anything. Uh, and that was kind of the gateway drug. Like I kind of couldn't help myself anymore. Um, so I started writing a little more in, in earnest at that point. Um, and I, th- I think I just, I'm good at scheduling myself within an inch of my life. Uh, you have mm. to be at the stage manager. Stage manager. I was so, thinking that. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. That's a that's a lot of it. So, you know, I've obviously got detailed schedules for my show that I am stage managing. Um, and as a result, I have very detailed Google calendars that, you know, my show is, is in my calendar. So I know where I need to be and when I need to be. And then I'll add to that. These three hours on this day are going to be me and my coffee um, or my cup of tea. And I'm going to go work on a thing. Um, and it kind of has to be that way right now because I'm actually back in grad school getting a second master's. So I'm not on my own timeline anymore. I have actual deadlines imposed by other people that I now need to hit. So I'm quite literally scheduled within an inch of my life. Um, and my husband mentioned to me the other day that he realized I think I have five stories, five or six stories in my head right now. I'm working on two musicals, a pilot, a spec script. A, and then there's the show I'm stage managing that's open. There's the show that I'm stage managing that I'm workshopping. So, was that six? I think that's six. And I, I do right now for the next couple of weeks, I'm a little like, what what script am I looking at? What schedule am I? I don't know. Who are these people? I don't remember who these people are. You know, and, and really having to take a second to shift gears um, because I have so many projects in my head right now. Normally, if I've only got one or two, I've gotten pretty good at juggling it. Wow. How do you shift? How do you move from, from one to the other to the other? What process do you use to, to shut out those projects? Um, with stage management, 
in my in my latter years as a stage manager, um, I have found that in protecting my personal time, I try to get as much done before I walk out the door. So if that means I stay in the rehearsal room for another, you know, 20, 30 minutes after work to do my reports, do my schedules, I try to do that so that when I leave the rehearsal room as much as possible, I can leave the stage management at the office. Anyone who knows a stage manager knows that that's not entirely true. We get calls and texts and questions and emails at, at all hours of the day. Um, but it does let me feel like my immediate tasks are done and I can I can walk away from those. Switching between plays is harder as a as a writer. Um, I have found that switching between the TV stuff and the theater stuff is a little easier. The, the forms are different. Um, the plays are more about language, whereas the TV is very about structure and the visuals. So I, I am almost using multiple brains there. And thankfully, the two musicals that I'm writing could not be more different. So I, I just have to take a moment, go, which world am I living in? And sometimes it takes a moment, like it'll take a page of, of typing and deleting going, wait, this is I'm not in the right tone. I'm not in the right verbiage for these characters to, to find it again. But once once I lock in, it's it's pretty there. And luckily, or, or not luckily, <laughs> the, the musical that I've been working on longer, it's been four years. So I, I know these characters very well. And we're we're in rewrites right now. So it's I'm not creating from whole cloth with them. I'm I'm reworking things. Oh my gosh. And musicals, Corey. And musicals. I, I know. I know. I not, know. Not plays. Musicals are hard, y'all. Musicals are hard. <sighs> That's I mean it, to me it seems it does seem overwhelming. And we have heard from other playwrights as well who are writing musicals that well, you know, there's just more moving parts, right? Yeah. And it's not yours alone. Because That's as a playwright if I have 30 minutes, uh, you know, to kill in a park, I can pull out my notepad or my laptop and I can work. If I'm writing my musical and I'm waiting to receive the music for a scene, I'm not a composer. I, I, that's not work I can do. My brain does not work that way. And, and I am blessed with a pair of very talented composers on my musicals, but it means I'm in a holding pattern. So if I have an idea, it's very possible I can't do anything with it. And I have to sit on it until I get what I need from my writing partner, which makes it a much slower process. And both of my composers are working in other areas. My my longer composer, Bill William Yanish, um, is a working musical director here in Washington, D.C. So he works all the time. He's in, in good demand. And then my other composer is running a theater program in Buffalo, and he's a playwright in his own regard. So, you know, mm. it's it's everyone's schedules on top of doing the creative work, um, you know, and trying to make your schedules line up. Like sometimes I think if if me and Bill were were one brain, you know, we would be where we are in two years instead of four. But life and time is a real thing. <laughs> they say it's a construct, but it feels real. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. So when you are writing, whether it's play or the the book of a musical how how do you start do you have a do you have a process um I it's evolved I really feel like it's evolved when I when I came through uh, undergrad and was learning playwriting for the first time I definitely came up through a program that was like you, you make an outline and then you build from your outline um 
And I found that I, I could do it. I could do an outline and then go from there. But that very quickly, um, my characters only would do exactly what was written in the outline and nothing else. They would give me no personality, no energy, and these scripts would kind of wither slowly and die. Um, oh, no. Of course, very frustrating. Um, so I started sort of letting an idea marinate, like not writing it right away and being like, well, if this idea keeps coming back to me, then it wants to come to the page. And it would make me like rethink what, what is this and who is this and, and why without being able to get it out. So I did that for a lot of years and that came to be a pretty good, a pretty good process. And I was pretty happy with that. And then when I started grad school, um, I started working on my first pilot and my mentor that semester gave me sort of a very structured, um, I think she just calls it the creative prep because she does have flexible versions of it for the playwrights, but for the TV people, it's, it's quite rigid and quite specific. Um, that gives you a sort of scene by scene, write out the, the action of the scene, no dialogue, which means you don't get to have any fun. It's all plot, it's all structure. But it really makes you look at how did I get from A to B to C? Um, and I think because it's not like a bullet point outline, it looks very much like a script with no dialogue. Um, for whatever reason, that really clicked in my brain and I find that I'm writing that way now that I'm starting from that place. Um, I wish I had started my first musical that way. I think we might've gotten a little further. I think I did a rough outline for that one because I had to give my partner something so he knew where the heck we were going. Um, but this more recent one, I, I did. I, I did that creative prep uh, work as my starting point. And then I still do kind of go off on a vomit draft. Like I, <laughs> I don't like to self-censor too much um, because I feel like you, you'll come up with a lot of stupid things that you're going to throw away. That's okay. Um, but that I don't want to smother anything that's a real spark. That's, that's original. Like that's the best opportunity for it to be the most to my voice. I often won't talk to other people too much about a new idea until I get a first draft out too much about the details. Cause I don't want to be too influenced or have an idea tainted by hearing someone go, Oh, that's a weird idea. And now I feel bad about that moment, even though you know, they didn't mean it that way. Um, so it's just like in its most pure form first. And then I'm big on notes. Like I, I love getting feedback. I have a couple of specific friends who are really good first pass readers who are that great balance of gentle because they understand it's like your new baby and you don't slap the baby. But also like, yes, you need to give it nutrition and help it grow. Um, so I've, I have a couple of friends who are my specific first pass people who are, who are great for those early days. Now, when you go to those friends, do you go to them with specific questions that you have about the script? Not initially. And, and actually not often now that I think about it, unless I, I, I feel like if I know what the problem is, I don't need someone else to read it. Oh. <laughs> um, I like to know first impressions how you felt walking away from it. Most of my plays are, are pretty emotional journeys. I'm not, I'm not an action type person. I'm not a comedy person. So my all feelings all the time. Um, so how you felt at the end of the script and characters, like I'm, I'm really big on 
trying to build complete human beings um, and complex human beings, because I think people who are too nice and too happy don't make interesting protagonists. H happy people don't have complications, and so they're not great on the page. Um, so usually my poor characters are a little tormented. There, there was a, a joke for a while that, uh, you know, why wouldn't I just let my characters be happy? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> and attention, <laughs> drama is tension and conflict. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, I just, I like, again, to get the untainted response and then I can decide, you know, what feels right. What was it that like, they sort of got, what did they not get? Yeah. So you're able to, to filter through what'll work for you to go back and do your rewrites. Yeah. And, and I don't, it's rare that I'll throw a note out whole cloth. I think if someone gives a note, you have to consider it. And if you can't say, this is not a useful note and this is why, well, you really maybe ought to think about that if you don't know why. Mm. Then that's something mm. for you to analyze. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. And you might still, after analyzing it, go, no, this is not a useful note. Um, <laughs> but it should all be considered. Well, especially if you said, like with those first passes, it's from someone you trust. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't let those those young plays out into the world in the wild uh, too quickly. So I read several of your plays. I, oh. I feel like I just barely scratched the surface though, because you, you really have a, a robust body of work. Thank <laughs> like, you. There, and you've got so many of them. You've got so many on MPX, which is awesome. So I read The Veils and The Head That Wears the Crown, and then I read Elephant Walk. And, you know, I've, I still have... I wanted to read Brackish and Buzz, so <laughs> there's just so many, and I'm excited to get to read them. But what I was noticing is that you t you tackle so many different subjects. Like really, your character you're doing uh, theater for all audiences, theater for youth, and you've written plays that are geared toward um, like 18 and up as well. So, uh, can you talk about that? I mean, so you can make the case that structurally, um, at TYA in particular, there are certain tenets. Obviously, your audience is different. Um, the length is usually different. Usually, it's shorter with a TYA play. You usually don't want more than 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and obviously, content sensitive uh, because kids, depending on the age, right? But ultimately, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about whole, whole people and whole characters, that if you're, you're doing whole people, then you just make the situation appropriate and let it play out. I mean, even my little hermit crabs and, and anemones, like each were like a whole little character with a personality and yeah, yeah, yeah they were animals. Okay, uh, that's, that's fine in this little universe, but they had worries, they had something they were scared of, they had something that they wanted and they decided to or decided not to do what they thought they needed to do. And that's, that's tension and that's conflict. And that's really all you need for a story is tension and conflict. No, I love that. I, and that play that was written, you said it was when you were in Hawaii, right? Yeah. Is it written for young people to perform or is it written for adults to perform for young people? So that theater company, um, much like uh, Imagination Stage here in DC or the Kennedy Center TYA program that, that I actually am literally stage managing for right now, 
um, is adult professional actors putting on productions for young people. Um, that play and that particular show was more of an all ages show, um, though that company did do stuff that targeted uh, age groups, but that was sort of an all all encompassing show. And you said those plays are on youth plays, two of them, right? Uh, title is on youth plays, and then they've since commissioned me to write a couple of other other shorts. There's a, a compilation of uh, shorts by BIPOC writers that I have a play in, and um, I'm trying to think. Ana Anatomy is, is published, title is published, and I feel like I'm missing at least one other that's published by youth plays. It's escaping me right now. Wait, are uh, Mabel... Is Hope in the same book as you? No. Oh, are you in the book? No, no, no. It's Avaro. Oh, it's Avaro. Yes. Avaro Sarrios. See, yes, that's, that's, that's right. And Diana Bermondo oh my gosh, is see? in that as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Diana's in that book. There's, there's at least a handful of other like big hitters in that book. Okay. I knew, I knew I had seen your name somewhere else as well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, good company um, to keep. Yes, absolutely. So can you talk about the play The Veils? Because that's a play about Marines. And I I was really interested to know it where that play came from. Yeah. So uh The Veils was uh the first no, no second, second full-length play uh that I wrote after I restarted writing. And I am, I was never in the military. My, my dad was army, um, but he was, you know, well out to, to my memory. I think he got out before, before we were old enough to know. Um, but I did date a Marine for a number of years. Um, and he had a lot of struggles uh, returning to civilian life um, and ended up developing a pretty bad alcoholism problem. Um, mm -hmm. So, the veils kind of came from a combination of things. It was partially that experience and wanting to explore uh, what what that is the the conflict between what should be comfortable in returning home and returning to civilian life, which sounds to a civilian like it should be better, versus uh, the folks who find a peace and a comfort and security in a, a war situation, which to those of us who don't get it. I don't think we can. Um, but that there is a familiarity in the structure, the structure of a life that you don't make decisions. Other people make decisions for you. They tell you what to do. And they, they do have bonds that can only be formed by trauma and by going through some, some pretty extreme things. So I was sort of experimenting with all of that and then really wanted to put a female character at the center of the play. And we don't hear very many stories about women in the military um, outside of, you know, stories about sexual trauma, which, you know, uh, I don't particularly uh, didn't at that time want to, want to delve into that subject. Um, so I made my character a female Marine uh, and sort of did a split timeline story where about half the play is uh, her, she's come home for a weekend to plan her wedding. She's engaged. And it's a, I'm supposed to spend a weekend picking dresses and picking cakes and very, very girly things, very feminine things, or, or stereotypically feminine things, I should say. Um, and then sort of contrasting that with the, the PTSD nightmare flashback stuff that's happening to her time 
in Afghanistan, which you do see why she has PTSD, something very bad happened. But also you get to see like the friends and the joy and um, like the, the happy part of it too. So um, yeah, and you really, it could have been any, any trauma. There's not necessarily a reason it had to be the military. That's the way it came out of me. Um, but it's really about the way that trauma stays with you and how you, you move forward from that. And also points out that the, the quote unquote safe normal world is not always safe because she comes home and you know she's got a very controlling sister and a very controlling mother who wanna make all the decisions. Um, so you get the internal family conflict related to that too. Yes, and you go back and forth in time and uh, dreamlike sequences versus reality. Uh, it, it was all, so, the transitions were so smooth that sometimes, you know, as I was reading, I didn't even realize at first, oh, wait, we're going into this, you know, but it wasn't jarring. It was more, wow, that, that was such a smooth transition oh, yeah. that I was really there in the moment with that character. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. yeah she goes, she goes through a lot and I hope that the play ends with um, her taking steps toward her own healing and, and care. Absolutely. I, I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that seems to also be a theme in your work. Like when I read the head that wears the crown, which I thought, whew, oh, I, yeah. Of, I of said, all my plays, that's the one that makes people uncomfortable. Uh, yes, but I so appreciate that you wrote it. Thank you. Because, wow, the, um, What's the word that I'm looking for? The the the, the hurt of uh, well, I don't I I really don't want to give it away, but just what what happens to that young woman um, and not realizing how she was manipulated uh, yeah. by people who were supposed to be her friends. Yeah, that and that was the there was a schism in the responses to that play. It had a little developmental production here in DC. Um, and I totally get why it's one that people shy away from. It's pretty heavy, it's pretty dark. Um, and it's structured such that act one is the high school incidents, high school story leading up to the big incident uh, of trauma. And then most movies would kind of maybe go forward another week, another month and then stop but this play actually advances forward several years um, and then shows you what, how that incident impacted them all as adults. And, and uh, much like you said, much like the veils that, you know, you might be past it, you might have grown up, but this is still with you. This experience is still with you and this trauma is still with you. And even to the characters it did not happen directly to, the choices they made that influenced the situation still weigh on them all the way to the yes. end of the play. Yes. And with those surprising results, right? What you think is going to happen, how it's going to impact one character. It's, it's not all as, as it seems as, as the end is unfolding. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. And you know, yeah. the, the thing that happened was people either said, Oh my God, this is exactly what high school was like. Or they said, 
my best friends are women, women don't act this way. And they, and those were the people that shut it out and said, this is, this is a bad play because it's untrue. When there was another 50% of the audience saying this happened to me, or I, or I knew girls that treated other girls this way, or these girls treated me this way. Um, so that was very interesting that if it was not your personal experience to have had negative early experiences with other women, um, they like refused to believe that it was true. And, you know, oh, blessedly wow. I did not have quite as an extreme of an experience as, as this protagonist does, but I certainly experienced the backstabby side of girl relationships. It took me lots and lots of years to come back around to trusting women for all of my twenties, basically with maybe three or four exceptions, all my best friends were guys. Cause I, it was just easier for me to trust men because I had had such rough uh, early dynamics with women. So yeah, and, and not to say that either experience is invalid. If you were lucky to have great female friends when you were young, good for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for you that you did not have to go through trauma in that way. But um, some of us did. Well, it's interesting, too, because um, for for someone reacting that way and saying, well, that wasn't my experience, so therefore, therefore. it's not true. <laughs> therefore, that couldn't have therefore, possibly happened. Like, yeah, it's like the world of the play, that is the reality of what happened in the world of the play. And it did, it was so realistic to me. And the revenge just to the, you know, off the charts, it's like, oof, yeah. yeah. It's a lot. That, that play is a lot. But I thought you had a satisfying ending. Thank you. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Yeah. That's, I received it that way. So, yeah. Hope, what is inspiring Oof. you these days, like for your, for your writing? What, Oof. what, what lights you up? Yeah. Um, so right now, um, and I, I think it tracks back. I think this is true in, in all of my plays, actually, that. I am excited by people like at the crux of a decision. And that can be a lot of things um, that like uh, often the journeys of my stories are internal as opposed to external. And that's um, I'm finding ways to do both uh, because having an external goal for a character only strengthens your piece. Um, and in television writing, you, you have to. It's just, it's just the way it is. Um, so I'm sort of learning to take the best of both worlds and, and start mushing them together and experiment with that. Um, but I am excited for a character who makes a choice, like despite all obstacles, makes a big, big choice. So for instance, um, my pilot, and no one steal my pilot idea. It's already written and I'm shopping it around. Um, <laughs> it's about... Uh, a young woman who uh, is escaping an abusive relationship and she hires a company uh, to help her escape. And midway through the escape, uh, she realizes she may have inadvertently put her little sister in danger by leaving. And so she, she bails on it, bails on the escape, but is now uh, isolated, has sort of torn up her passport. She has nothing and has to figure out how to, how to start all over and get back to protecting her sister while not giving her own situation away. Um, and she ends up going back to the company that helped her 
to try to figure it out. So it was like, literally, I took everything away from this character, high risk, high stakes. Um, but now what do you do? Like strong, bold choice, even though this puts me at risk, I am still going to do this for this other person and do this to protect my sister at all costs. And that I actually find really exciting. Um, in a smaller scale, uh, the, the newer musical I'm working on is a take on the Nutcracker. And uh, it's from the viewpoint of the rats. And our, <laughs> come on, the rats are the best the characters in the Nutcracker. Yeah. It's the best part of the show. Love that. <laughs> so we follow a little rat who, you know, year after year, the Nutcracker has been happening. And year after year, the king is killed. And she says, this should not be this way. And when the opportunity comes for her to jump in, even though she has no skills, no training, no real knowledge, she just says, this is wrong. And like jumps in and takes action and the story, you know, unfolds in its own sort of ridiculous magical way. Um, so yeah, big, big characters making big dangerous choices is exciting to me because isn't that what we're, we are all doing? We don't, we don't know the outcomes of anything. You know, when I take a job out of town or you go on a date or whatever, these are all big, potentially life-changing decisions. And those, those are stories. Hmm. <sighs> I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question about what it is like to be the literary manager of a theater. Could you talk about that? Oh, I read so many plays. <laughs> I read so many plays. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had more time. Um, so I've been the lit manager at Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, New York for, this is my third season. Um, it is a relatively new position. They didn't have one before I came aboard. So my involvement is a little less in choosing plays for the season though I will often get asked to advise on them when they're kind of narrowed down to the last couple of choices and I get a little bit of input. But my primary role at that theater is for the New Works Festival. So I once a year get to put out a big announcement to playwrights and ask them to send me their stuff. Um, and the first year was during the pandemic so still, so that was challenging because how do, how do we even put up a festival, hybrid, this, that, and the other. So that, that was very hard the first year. But the second year when we were sort of clear of the worst of things, um, I really did a hard push for um, making sure women were seeing it, making sure queer and gender queer people were seeing it, making sure people of color were seeing it. And I did a big push and I ended up with over 600 plays and I'm a one woman shop. Um, thankfully I was able to recruit a little bit of reading help. Um, but that was very much more than I could handle, unfortunately. Um, oh my gosh. This year we had to put a cap on it um, because I uh, was gonna lose my mind. I was just like reading as fast as I could and feeling bad that I was reading anyone's play too fast because uh, you want to sit there and enjoy them, but you're like, I have to get through it. I have to finish. Um, so it was a bit of a frantic craziness and you feel the clock. Um, because there's a, there's a turnaround window and you try to get it done quickly because I'm very aware that when you send a submission that you care about to a contest, you want to know. You want to know as soon as possible either way. Um, and I do try to tell all of my people either way as soon as I know whether they're moving forward or not. 
Um, you know, obviously you lose the occasional email when you're dealing with 600 plays, but you know, I, I do my best to try to keep my playwrights informed. And even when um, you know, a play may not make it to the end, and, and this is something I try to remember when I go through submissions as a writer, I'll get down to you know, the top 25, 30 plays each year and start, that's the point at which I read the whole play of all of them as opposed to just an excerpt. Um, and sometimes you read something and it's so good. There, there was at least two last year. There was one specific one this year that made it so far. Um, but because of our audience of our theater, I, I just know it's not right for us. And it kills me because I'm like, this is so good and hope the audience member would love to see this play on stage, but hope the literary manager knows that this is not quite the right kind of work for Bay Street. Or there was one that they had literally done a play on a similar topic like three years or four years before. So I'm like, that doesn't matter how good it is. It's out of the running, unfortunately. Um, so there's so many factors, especially when you get later in the process that have nothing to do whether or not your play is good. Mm. And to like, as a writer, remember there's so much more. It's so like, if you make it to semi-finalist of something, like you did something right. <laughs> if you even make it that far, because at, it starts so quickly becoming about so many, so many other things. We had a, a pair this year that were both comedies and I didn't think so, but a different member of my team said, these two kind of have the same sort of humor. So we probably shouldn't program them both. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, you, you can't win them all. I am, I am a solo shop when I'm reading the plays, but when final decisions get made, I'm, I'm not a solo shop, but I have to take a lot of people and things into consideration. Um, but it's great to be able to lift up you know, a handful of playwrights each year. Um, and last year we started also listing the finalists and not just our selections. So we're trying to yeah. give them a little bit of social media, website, internet action, um, so they can get a little love. Um, and if I read something that I think would be really good for another company that I know, sometimes I forward it on See? and be like, hey, this isn't right for us, but like, do you know this play? Because you should know this play. So, you know, we're, oh my gosh. so lit managers, we are doing that quietly in the background and y'all don't know it. <laughs> so you are, <laughs> you are the, the, the true unsung superhero of the theater <laughs> because you are a stage manager and a lit manager it's and award-winning playwright. So let's not, let's not just stop there. Yes. Just saying. I, I love what you were saying just now though, Hope, about the importance of sending your work because you just never know. Now we had Hannah Joyce on here was talking about that. She said, when you submit your work, sometimes it's not the right fit for a place, mm -hmm. but other people have eyes on that work and they may say, just like you said just now, Hey, I've got this great play right here. I know it's not right yeah. for Bay street theater, but take a look at it. I love yeah. that. Because every theater has its own personality. Yes. So playwrights listening, send your work out. Yes. <laughs> send us your things. Keep working on them. Keep rewriting, but send us your things. And when Hope posts that contest, you better get it in quick because there's a cat. 
it's for my own sanity. <laughs> oh, you know, though, I, I appreciate that you're doing that as well, because you do have to take care of yourself, you know, and you want to make sure you can give the attention yeah. to each script. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. This year's festival is in May. So it's coming up, coming, coming up soon. <gasps> We've got the selections. They're announcing them, I think, tomorrow. Oh, my God. Tomorrow in my time. Not. I don't know when this is airing, but it should be coming out. What is it? It's it's March right now. So by the end of March, this the winners will be announced. Um, we have some fun actors already attached to some things. So, yeah. This, this, and this gets to be the fun part. I stop stressing about reading plays and just get to, like, help them find directors and actors and have fun for a little while. And are you stage managing this as well? No, <laughs> no, <Okay. laughs> I, um, I did stage manage one uh, last year. Um, that was a, a musical um, that I did. I did stage manage last year. And this uh, we ended up putting it in our season this year. Um, so I'm not stage managing it in our season, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm dramaturging it. So I'm still involved with that, with that musical. Oh my gosh, you're a dramaturg too. <laughs> I mean, play, I'm a playwright and a literary man. I know. I'm already doing yeah, all of that work, true. right? It's, it's, oh it's my thing. goodness, but, um, my goodness. This yeah, so true. that one. And then the first season, was it the first season? Second, last year, it was last year. Um, I ended up directing one because we couldn't find a director who was available and it was the the one of the four that I felt like was the most in my in my spirit and in the way that I write too so like it felt very familiar um so then it was suggested oh what if you just direct it and I was like oh I haven't directed in a long time but okay that was fun yeah so it kind of came full circle for you right because when you went to LA the first thing you did was assistant direct and stage manage and ugh. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully this year I just get to sit back and do introductions and run talkbacks. I'm I'm not planning to do anything too crazy this year. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait to meet you in person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. June. And to hear Alaska. to hear your play read at the festival. That yeah. that is gonna be exciting. So Yeah, I'm excited about Buzz. It's my newest sort of finished play so it's, it's in it's what I call the, the shopping rotation right now where it's the one that's heavily getting sent out yeah the, oh yeah I was gonna ask you how you choose where you're going to send your play I shotgun method I send stuff everywhere <laughs> if I'm eligible <laughs> I send it um I yeah. generally will not send to places that have fees generally you know I'll, I'll pay for the O'Neill um right. and you know if you can get something waived because you're a dramatist guild that's cool um, but for the most part, I won't do fee contests. It's a personal choice, you know, respect if, if you're cool with it. Um, though I do pay for the film stuff because it's unavoidable, actually, with a lot of the screen competitions. So I'm a little pickier. There's a deadline coming up that I'm trying to decide. I've already sent it off to two things this year. And I'm like, that price tag's adding up real fast. Do I want to send it to this next one? Or do I want to skip this one and you know hit the next one? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I was going to say film, those competitions are steep. Yeah. Those fees are... Kind of 50 bucks no at the job. low end to submit with no guarantee of anything. Yeah, that's... I know, that can be a barrier, yeah, I feel. Yeah, it's its own kind of gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Tori, I'm looking at the time. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. Okay. We want to be mindful of your time. This, this might be your only day off. <laughs> oh, I work so today. What are you talking about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So here's our asking for a friend. If you could stage manage any show, which would it be and why? Oh, that's so juicy. Um, right now, it would probably be Moulin Rouge. It's just got such amazing tech. And I, it's my favorite movie. So I, I love the music. Um, I'm sort of obsessed with the film. Um, and I saw the movie in its like very, 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 very first American pre-screening in Hollywood. And Ewan McGregor oh, and Nicole wow. Kidman and Boz Lerman were all there. So like I have this very <gasps> personal attachment to Moulin Rouge. And I just think it would be the most fun to call because it has so much tech. That that gives me so much anxiety. I'm glad that you would be there to do it. We I saw it on Broadway um, last year, last summer, and it it was spectacular. It's beautiful. Oh my yeah. gosh! It yeah, is just so much. Yes, it's beautiful. Wow. Um, and and you're saying the the reason would be because it has all of the. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh! I love it. Sorry, my mind is like, it would, it would be terrifying the first time you do it. And then you yeah. get better. And then it starts to be really, really fun. I feel like this is your life theme is to go big and take big risks. And yes, I, I cannot uh, say that that is false. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. All right. So hope. Yeah. Now, we, we do like to leave our listeners with something to do. So I know that you're not a fan of writing prompts, but do you have an exercise or something folks I can do? I do. I do. This is one of my favorite things to do when I am uh, sort of doing early edits on a script. Um, again, particularly because I'm a vomit draft person, it just all kind of comes out the way it comes out. And then you've got to make sense out of it. And one of the best ways I find to make sense out of my script is to do a character targeted reading for yourself. So let's say, um, I'm gonna pick something like everybody knows. Um, let's say, uh, we're gonna pretend like I wrote Romeo and Juliet and it was a vomit draft and the script is a mess. Uh, and I want to see if Juliet's storyline and her journey holds up. So I'm gonna read and edit through the play, but only looking at Juliet's scenes. If she is not in the scene, I'm going to skip it. And any part of a scene that she's not in, I'm just going to skip it. So I'm like literally going from Juliet, 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 choice to choice, action to action. Does it make sense? Does she disappear for 30 pages for some reason? Does she just go, where'd she go? Let's bring her back. Um, and then I have many plays where I've gone through and literally done a pass on each character. I absolutely did this with the veils. Um, oh, wow. I definitely did it on Buzz. I believe I did it on Brackish. Um, but it's just a way to get a really targeted, make sure each character's story holds up because I don't believe in superfluous characters. Save that for film when you can have a cast of hundreds. <laughs> I love that. Oh, wow. I'm I, I'm literally going to do that tonight, Hope, because I'm working on a script and I have a character that I, I is is not where that character they're wandering on you a little bit yes yes yeah yes. they gotta come come back yes. come back to the fold oh that's exciting 
That is Yeah, give it a try. It, it's pretty useful. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Hope, where can people connect with your work? Where can they find you? Yes. All right. So oh, I should have looked up email addresses before, um, <laughs> internet website addresses before I did anything else. But you can Google Bay Street Theater. Um, and we have our festival is the weekend of May 5th through May 7th this year out in Sag Harbor, New York. Uh, we'll be bopping around the city, rehearsing a little bit the week before. So I'll be in town if you're in the city. Um, right now, I am stage managing at Olney Theater Center in Maryland, where we are doing, um, and I'm going to butcher her name, and I'm sorry, um, Madri Shakur's A Nice Indian Boy, which is a delightful comedy about a uh, gay Indian couple uh, where one of them happens to be white. <laughs> And he was uh, raised in an Indian family and craziness ensues and it's really fun and there's live cooking and there's comedy and dancing and love and it's wonderful. So please come check us out there. Uh, and if you happen to be towards Alaska, uh, I will be at the uh, last frontier Valdez Theater Conference this June uh, with, uh, oh gosh, Buzz, I believe Buzz is the one that's going to be there. Um, so I'll be there for a few days of that festival as well. Um, and then I'm going to be at the public a bit this summer, and then I'll be up at Barrington stage for most of the summer on a blues for an Alabama sky. So wow. I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah, you are. Oh, that's I'm taking awesome. a break in the middle of all of that somewhere to go on my honeymoon. So, oh my God. Oh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> We've been waiting. It was planned during the pandemic. So. I am taking oh, a break. Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. You deserve that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Pope, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much you guys for are spending your evening with us. Um, after you, thank you for having after me. After you've worked today and then... Oh my gosh, like so much great advice and, and sharing your knowledge and your and your stories um it's just been really lovely so i'm really Thank thankful you so so that. much you guys made it real easy uh, we appreciate it and i i enjoyed too hearing the process and how you came to the story ideas that you're telling very inspirational so thank you thank you thank you tori the circus the circus oh my goodness wow <gasps> I know, I know. I wish I had had more time to talk to Hope at the Valdez Theater Conference. She came in midweek and then had to take back off because I think they were doing a reading somewhere else. Like she's oh, wow. got a lot going on. Yeah, she's she's very much um, in demand. So I would have loved to hear more circus stories. Amazing. <laughs> she's had an interesting journey so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, okay, what do we got coming up? We are going to be going to see Lonely Planet at Onstage Playhouse in Chula Vista. Oh my goodness, written by Stephen <laughs> Dietz. You know, I just, I love Stephen Dietz. Um, but this, this is their fundraiser. You know, we all know theaters are struggling uh, the, the big ones are struggling and the small ones are definitely struggling. So please get out to support uh, 
on stage playhouse with this fundraising this fundraiser it's pay what you can james darvis who uh, runs the theater over there he is going to be starring in it with salomon maya so it's, it's it's a big deal and it's a great play and if you go on Saturday, you're going to see the Hayway Wright team in the house. It's it it's just a wonderful play and still still lands today. It it's just beautifully written. Yes, it's a it's a beautiful play and those two are solid mm-hmm. talent. So, it's it's going to be great. And Terry Brown directed it and she is definitely a local you know, she's been in the mix for many, many years. So it's just a good, it's a great team over there. And, you know, we want to see them keep going because they they support local artists. Yeah. And they do, they do really great work over there. Unrelated, but I need to give a shout out to um, two friends of the podcast, Jose Casas and Alvaro Sarrios, because both of them are AATE Distinguished Play Award winners this year. All right, so Jose Casas uh, got the Distinguished Play Award uh, for his play Desvelado. And Alvaro got his Distinguished Play Award for Carmela Full of Wishes, which is based on a book by Matt De La Pena and is such a beautiful play uh, and there may or may not be a Spanish language version out in the world. <gasps> what? I don't know. Who did that translation? I don't know, Tori. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. It's all it's all rumor. Anyway, <laughs> it's, all, it's all a rumor floating around the Pacific Northwest. Um, but anyway, just shout out to to both of those fine playwrights um, doing the incredible work of centering Latinx voices on theater for young audiences' stages. So, adelante, amigos. And uh, what else, Tori? Did you see that list of the 2023 National Playwrights Conference finalists? There are a lot of friends from the pod on there. Diana Burbano for Beheading Columbus. Mm. Uh, let's see. Christopher Diaz for Things with Friends. Ah, which, oh my goodness, I, I love, love that, that play. play. Keiko Green, Hell's Canyon. Dory, that's one thing. I read Hell's oh. Canyon. Did you? When I was traveling this last week. I read Hell's Canyon. Oh my gosh. <sighs> oh. We need to we need to figure out where we can go see that. All right. Well, are you writing anything, Tori? Working on anything right now? I'm doing the re I'm doing some revision to maybe for a minute before it's published by the Lanford Wilson New American Play Festival. The short plays are being published by the university there. So I'm doing some some revision. I I need to finish that today, actually. So that's what I'll be doing. Right on. All right. Cool. Well, good luck with that. And yes. um, all right. Well, um, until next time. I think you know. Now that I have no big paper, hopefully we'll get these. We'll get more episodes to come. Somebody told me, Tori. Sorry. One last thing. I was. I was in a. I was at a, an event a few weeks ago, and somebody complimented me on the podcast that I thought was really, it was really cool. Cause it was, it was somebody that I didn't think listened to our show. So 
but they had very oh, nice things wow. to say about it. So thank you, thank oh. you, listeners. Thank you for for continuing on and sticking with us. Yeah, we yeah, we we sure do. And thank you to all the guests who continue to say yes and spend time with us. Yep. Season six. Season six. And and still many more episodes in the can that we were, yeah, we're going to get right. out. So. Mm-hmm. so anyway, lots more to come. Cool, cool. All right, Miss Tori. Until next time. Until next time. Bye, Playwright. Playwright. Hey, Playwright is produced by Tori and Mabel. The voice you hear at the top of the show is Freddie Padilla at BK Spidey on Instagram. If you like what you heard, rate, like, subscribe, tell your friends, follow us on all the socials, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.